are wrapping up a series today called It Is Finished. Again, today being Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday, Jesus entering into Jerusalem. The people had the palm branches, waving them in the air. People were laying their coats, laying their blankets on the ground. And basically, Jesus is coming in. It really wasn't what he was not what they expected. I don't have time to get into all of that, but maybe do your studying, your research on that on your own. But he really wasn't what they expected. And they're waving these palm branches. It's kind of like you and I would wave the American flag. I mean, that, that's how important these palm branches were. So they're waving these palm branches. Jesus is coming in. Again, some of these same people were at the cross or at Pilate's uh, hallway, if you will, shouting, crucify him. And so we find ourselves in the past few weeks standing at the foot of the cross, listening to these statements that Jesus made while he was on the cross as he hung there for six hours. These statements that really are some of the most powerful statements in all of the Bible. When you think about the pain, the suffering, everything that he endured, what it took for him to be able to muster up the strength to be able to speak these words, they become the most precious words in all of the Bible. So much so that Proverbs chapter 25 verse 11 says, The right word spoken at the right time is like a custom-made piece of jewelry. And so if you think about what's happening here, these words that Jesus spoke, do they not become some of the most precious words in all of the Bible? Not only that, but they're custom words, custom-made for you And for me. And so we've been going through these statements that Jesus made, and we find ourselves today at the sixth statement that Jesus made. And it's a statement that's found in the book of John. John chapter 19, verse 30 is kind of where we're going to be today. So if you have your Bibles, you want to flip there, you want to click there. Of course, it's up on the screen as well. John chapter 19, verse 30. Kind of going with the New King James Version with you today. I just like the wording of this. It says, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your house today. Thank you for the privilege to be able to serve you, to worship you, Lord, on this day, this Palm Sunday. Thank you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. You know, I was thinking about, throughout history, there have been several, what I would call, battle cries. Come on, how many of you know what a battle cry is? I was thinking about the different battle cries, these these famous kind of rallying cries, if you will, these cries that are meant to bring about unity and strength, these cries that would cast out any sense of fear right before you go onto the battlefield, right before you giving a speech, right before you're charging a group of people to go somewhere. And I begin to think about just different battle cries throughout history. One of them that came to my mind was, remember the Alamo. Come on, anybody remember that? Remember the Alamo. Another one that crossed my mind was, don't shoot until you see the whites of their eyes. Like until they're right face to face with you, then you engage the enemy. Here's another one. You may not realize this because we see it on shirts everywhere, but it was actually a battle cry. Keep calm 
and carry on. Here's another one for you. What you do in life will echo in eternity. I love this one. We've got to burn the ships. Come on, how many of you remember Cortez? <clears throat> We've got to burn the ships. And then one of my all-time favorites is I have a dream. I have a dream. These battle cries, these rally cries, if you will, to, to encourage, to strengthen, to, to, to cast out the fear. But, but in these three words we've just read, form the greatest battle cry ever spoken. Three words, it is finished. And it's amazing because in the English language it's three words, but when you go back to the Greek language it's really just one word and it's the word tetelestai. Tetelestai. This word has been called the greatest single word ever spoken. And it's interesting because John is the only of the four Gospels that gives us this word. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, they don't give us the actual word, but they tell us how Jesus spoke it. So John tells us what the word is. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tells us how he spoke it, and it said he cried with a loud voice. And so you have to picture the scene, picture what's going on here. Jesus has just received vinegar to, to really moisten his throat, to be able to muster up the strength, to be able to say that. And I know there's some prophecy being fulfilled in all of that, going back to Psalms. But I believe he's, he's, he's knowing what he's about to say. This is his loudest cry yet. And from the cross, he says, Tetelestai, it is finished. One commentary said this was not the whimper of a victor, victim, it was the shout of a victor. He cried out with the voice of triumph. And as he cried out these words, it is finished. It thundered out of his lips. And when it thundered off of his lips, it reverberated through the corridors of heaven and hell alike, causing demons to tremble and angels to rejoice. It shocked everyone at the foot of the cross that day that was there experiencing that. And it began to change people's lives. Just like the centurion guard who was there, this cry actually caused him to give his life to Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 15 verse 39 is talking about this centurion. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this, and breathed his life. What did he say last? He said, truly this man was the son of God. Hearing these words, it is finished, was the key to this man's salvation. Not only that, but I believe that the words that Jesus spoke has the same power today as it did back then to save those who are in listening to the words. James Stalker, I love this, wrote this one time. He said, the salvation of the world is contained in this one word. Human souls can lay hold of it as a drowning sailor grasps for a life preserver. It is finished. But I begin to think about this. What, what exactly does that mean? What does it mean when Jesus says, it is finished? I mean, what's he really talking about here? And some people said, well, he, he's talking about his pain, his suffering. And, and I guess in a sense we could say that. For six hours he had been hanging on the cross and after saying these words he would make immediately one other statement and then he would, he would die on the cross. So, so I get we can say that but I believe there was so much more on his mind when he said these words. 
But I think in order for us to truly understand this word, to telestai, we've got to go back and look at the meaning of it, go back and look at how they used it in that day. And there's several meanings to this word. For instance, it is a word that a servant would use. A servant who his master would give him an assignment, give him a job, and the servant would go out, complete the job, and come back and say to his master, to telestai, it's done, it's finished. It was also a banking term, much like in our day. People back then would go and borrow money, and they would have to make monthly payments. And and at the end of their payment, once they had paid everything, they would receive a piece of paper, and at the bottom of that paper would be the word stamped to telestai, paid in full. It's finished. But then there's a third meaning of this word, and it was a word that was used especially by the priests during Passover. And I want you to kind of get this scene. Here is Jesus, and Jesus dies at 3 o'clock on the cross, right outside the temple. He dies at 3 o'clock. But what you need to understand is that that on this particular day, from 3 o'clock to 5 o'clock, the priests were sacrificing the lambs that were brought into the temple. So here's all of these priests starting at 3 o'clock and the people are bringing the lambs, the lambs that were spotless, the lambs that didn't have any problems, any imperfections. They're bringing these lambs in their arms, these lambs that would come in alive but leave dead and they're going in and at 3 o'clock they started inspecting the lambs and if the lamb was good, the priest would say, Tetelestai, it's good. And they would carry the lamb in. Now get this. Here is Jesus Christ. He's out there on the cross. He is the sinless, spotless lamb. And at 3 o'clock, he says, Tetelestai, it is finished. And I begin to think about what Jesus gave for us in that moment. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says, In him, who's it talking about? Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. So when you think about this word and think about this phrase, this phrase where Jesus was essentially saying, hey, I'm the servant, the master, God, the father gave me an assignment. I've completed the assignment to telestai. Not only that, but I'm going to the cross to take care of all of your debt, all of your sin, all of your shame to telestai. It's finished. Not only that, but I'm the Passover lamb, the sinless, spotless lamb of God who took away all of the sin of the world to tell us die it is finished no wonder the centurion after hearing that word gave his life to Jesus Christ and so we got to ask ourselves this it is finished what is finished think about that when Jesus said it is finished what what exactly is finished I think there's several things I just want to point out a couple of them to you today I believe number one sin is finished sin is finished Colossians chapter 2 verse 14 It says, having counseled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Do you understand that there's a list of all of our wrongdoings? There's a list of all of the ways that we fail to live up to the standards of God. Come on, somebody say, I got more than one page, amen? Come on, be honest. The rest of y'all need Jesus. So anyway, there's a list there, and you need to understand that list does exist. The Bible says that every thought we think, every word we speak, that God writes all of that down. And so there's a list of all of our sin, all of our shame, all of the times that we didn't live up to God's standard. And as a result of our sin, something is owed for our sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. 
So that's what's owed for all of our wrongdoing, for all of our sin. Someone has to die. But Colossians is saying that Jesus Christ was able to come in and wipe out the debt, wipe out the amount we owed. He wiped out all the red in our balance sheet because nothing else is owed. All of our sin is gone, taken care of, to die. it is finished. Why? Because he nailed it to the cross. All of the wrongs, all of the sins, all of the mess up. God nailed it to the cross and Jesus paid for it in full. It would kind of be like a cup. Imagine a cup and the Bible talks about the cup of God's wrath, if you will. All of the sin is in this cup. Imagine every sin since the beginning of time till the end of time is in this cup. And it's interesting because one commentator said, it is finished has the significance of heaven drained the cup. It's almost like Jesus was standing there holding the cup upside down on the cross saying, it's finished. There's not a drop left. It's done. It's over. You know, my boys, every once in a while, they, 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 start, they act like the mama sometimes. Come on, amen. And they'll drink a can of soda. And you know how they do that? Crunch it up, throw it to the side. It's done. Every drop is finished. So when I think about this word here and I think about Jesus, it's almost like Jesus is drinking the cup, drinking the can, and he smashes the hand can against his head and says, it's done, it's finished. It's over. Sin is finished. But not only that, I begin to think about how death and the devil are finished. Death and the devil are finished. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 says, So that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Jesus destroyed death by dying. The greatest weapon the enemy had against you and I was death. And Jesus came and destroyed that on the cross. J. Oswald Sanders said this, He said, the moment of Satan's triumph was also his defeat. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 says what Jesus did. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The end of Jesus' life meant the beginning of ours. Why? Because he said, it is finished. Sin is finished. Death and the devil are finished. All of these things are finished. So I begin to think, what can we take away from this? What does this mean for you and I? And I believe there's a couple things. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Here's the first thing that we need to know on a continual basis. Number one, salvation can't be added to or subtracted from. Salvation can't be added to or subtracted from. See, many times we have this mindset that we've got to earn our salvation. We've got to make ourselves look better than what we actually are. Have you ever got in trouble? How many of you guys have siblings? Anybody got some siblings in the house? Come on, all you guys have siblings. How many of you remember when you know you did something, but you wanted to make yourself look good and blame it on your brother or sister? Is anybody? 
Thank you for being honest. The rest of you, I don't know. Thank you for being honest. What were you doing? You were like, well, I might have done a little bit, but you know, Johnny really, he, he coached me. He was the one that did it. And so what are you doing? You're trying to make yourself look good. And I think so many times we approach God with the mindset that I need to make myself look better than what I actually am. Or maybe more common than that, there's this feeling of, condemnation, thinking about all the ways that I don't measure up to God. All the ways that that I fall short as a Christian. But I want you to lean in right now. I want you to hear what I'm saying. You online, I want you to hear what I'm saying. There's nothing more deadening to your soul than to approach a relationship with God on a performance mentality. Where you feel like you've got to perform. And if I'm having a good day, then man, God must really love me. Things are going great. But if I'm having a bad day, man, I don't know. Maybe I got to work harder. Maybe I need to do more. God, I don't know if he really loves me. And so then you find yourself counting things, right? You start counting. Well, I, I, I read my Bible today. I did devotion today. I did my prayer time today. And, and man, I've done good all week long. And so then you start feeling good about yourself, right? Because you, you see a little bit of growth. But then all of a sudden you miss a day. And it's like, oh man, I'm, I'm just a worm, I just, I'm, I'm not worthy, I feel like a failure. And so then you start to feel like you have to earn God's favor in some way. Watch this, attaching your identity with your activity. Come on, that was good right there. Like I saw people online, they're running laps in the living room, you just sitting here, amen? I see them, amen? <laughs> here's what you need to know and here's what the cross shows us. That you can't be loved any more or any less than you are right now. And our good works do nothing to determine our standing before God. What determines our standing before God is Jesus Christ. So you understand we are saved for good works. We are not saved by good works. And it's, an, it's, it's important that you get that, that you understand that because the enemy wants to get you to a place in your life, the thing that you're walking around in condemnation for something you've already been forgiven for. You've already asked God to forgive you. You've already put it under the blood, so to speak. And you're walking around with your head hung down in shame. That's why he's called Satan. What does that mean? The word Satan means the accuser of the brethren. He loves to remind you of everything you've ever done wrong. All the things that you've messed up and did this and did that. Even though you've asked God to forgive you, here you are and you're walking in condemnation. But hear me today, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. God takes no joy in you wearing the shame that Jesus already wore for you. No joy in it. I thought about the prodigal son. Prodigal son, you know the story when he goes to the father and in so many ways he's saying, Dad, I wish you were already dead. And in that moment, right then and there, the father would have been in his legal rights to put that son to death. Could have put him to death right there and would have been in legal rights. But the father took the shame upon himself. He gave him the money. says, here you go, son. Have a great life. Well, you know how the story ends. The son goes out, he's partying, he's living the life. He doesn't understand a budget. He doesn't understand that, man, one day this money's going to be gone. Come on, how many of you that sound familiar in your house with your teenager? Amen. So he's going through all of that. And what happens? He blows it all and he winds up living with the pigs. 
And here's what you need to understand, that in most Jewish homes, when the son would have went down that road, they would have had a funeral for that son and never spoken his name again. Why? Because he was dead in his sins. And here's the son, he's in the pigsty, and he, he finally, the Bible says he comes to himself. He has, he has that light bulb moment. And he says, you know, I, I don't know, man, maybe, maybe, just maybe I can go back and be accepted into my home as a servant, which, quite honestly, which was far more than what this guy deserves. And so he starts on the road, going back home, and as he's walking up the road, the Bible gives us this description of how the father comes running towards his son and throws his arms around him. And you're thinking, man, that's pretty cool. The dad was in a hurry to, to hug him. No. No. The father was trying to save his life. Because in that culture, in that day, anybody could have picked up a stone and killed the son and they would have had a legal right to do so. And so when the dad is running, he's running to protect the son. He's running to take the stones on his own back. He's running to take the words and take the accusations. He's letting everybody in the town know, hey, if you want to get to my son, you've got to get through me first. Bring a ring and put on his finger. Put a robe on on his back, strike up the band, let's have a party, give him a position in my kingdom. That's what he was doing. Now let me ask you a question. Let's say one day that son wakes up and he starts thinking about all the things that he did, all the failures, the father's already taken it all, but he's, he's having that moment and he's looking at that robe, he's looking at the ring, he's looking at the position and he thought to himself, man, I, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be here. I, I don't deserve. And so he goes back to the closet and takes the pigsty clothes and puts them back on. And his father sees him walking around and says, son, what, what are you doing, dad? I, man, I don't know. I, I don't deserve any of this. Now think about it. The father ran to his son, was willing to take all of the hits, all of the stones, all of the accusations. He was willing to take all of the shame of his son upon himself. Do you think the father's blessed by the son doing that? Let me ask you this question. What do you think the father does when he's already paid for our sins? You have asked him to forgive you of your sins and you're walking around with your head hung down in shame. Do you think the father is blessed by you refusing to enjoy the life that he's already given to you? Man, he wants us to enjoy this life. And no, we don't deserve it. But guess what? He gave it to us anyway. So you know what I say? Strike up the band. Let's worship. Let's give God praise and honor and glory. And get to a point in your life where you realize, I can't do anything to add or to subtract to what my father's already done for me. Come on, give God a big hand of praise right there. But here's the second thing that I think this scripture reminds me of. And that is that Jesus finished well so we can too. Turn to somebody and say, you got to finish strong. You got to finish strong. See, it's one thing to start a race, but finishing is the goal. Getting to the end and, and seeing the victory line, that's the goal. See, it's one thing for Jesus to muster up enough strength to say the first words on the cross. 
and say, Father, forgive them. But, but you understand it's an entirely different moment for Jesus to muster up enough strength to say the loudest words, yet the most powerful statement ever to be made, the most powerful rally cry yet, if you will, and said, it is finished. This moment, this phrase that was actually a moment that fulfilled the prayer that Jesus had prayed in John chapter 17, verse 4. He says, I've glorified you on earth. He's talking to the Father. He says, I've glorified you on earth. I have what? Say this word with me. Finished. Come on, say it like you meant it. I have finished. I've finished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus finished well. I thought about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, if you remember, made a similar statement in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, when he says, I fought a good fight. I have what? Finished. Come on, say it like you mean it. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. I don't know about you, but I want to finish well. I want to finish well. I want to get to the place where at the end of my life I can hear Jesus say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Many of you know that, that my pastor, the pastor I got saved under, I was requesting prayer. He went home to be with Jesus last Sunday. As we were in here Sunday evening praying, For God to heal him, God essentially healed him and took him home. And I had the privilege of standing Wednesday and being a part of that funeral. And I began to think about this this man who had given his whole life to the cause of Christ. A man who was 84 years old, still pastoring a group of people. He finished strong. He finished strong. And I like Dempsey. I like Paul. I like Jesus. want to finish this race well. I want to keep my energy up. I don't want to be a casualty. I don't want to get, you know, I don't want to be someone who starts to race but, but doesn't, you know, finish it because I don't have the energy. I don't have the strength. I can't keep up the pace. I want to finish strong. And I know you do too. And some of you may be saying, well, Pastor, you, you don't understand what I've been through. You don't understand what it's like in my world, in, in my life. I just, I don't know that I can do that. But hear me today. The statement that Jesus made, it is finished. We find in that statement the power to be able to finish well. The power to be able to finish well. What do I mean by that? Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 said, let, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author, and what? Here's that word. Finisher. The author and finisher of our faith. Do you understand the victory that you need to complete the race? Everything you need to finish strong, the power is already in you. All we've got to do is simply work out what Jesus has already worked in us. It's there. You don't have to walk around with a victim mentality. Why? Because it is finished. 
You don't have to walk around in loneliness. Why? Because it is finished. You don't have to walk around with a wounded spirit. Why? Because it is finished. You don't have to walk around feeling shame and condemnation. Why? Because it is finished. It's finished. Jesus already experienced everything for you and for me. And on the cross that day, he said, it is finished. Sin is finished. The death and the devil are finished. What does that mean for me? I can't add to or subtract from God's salvation that he's given to me. And what it does for me really in my soul is say, Lord, because you finished, I can finish well too. Come on, would you give God a big hand clap of praise right there all over the house. Stand with me. Stand with me all over the house. But Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for moments like this. Lord, as we've taken this, this moment and we've, we've stood at the foot of the cross. God, we've been listening to these statements. All of these statements, these seven statements that you've made, we've, we've been looking at some of them, Lord, and, and now we've come to one that really kind of Kind of seals it for us, if you will. The word to tell us die. It is finished. And so, Father, right now we just open our hearts to you. We open our lives to you. God, we recognize that there's no way in this world we could finish on our own. We need help. And that help is you. And so, Lord, right now we just look to you. you bow your heads, just keep them bowed for a moment. For those of you watching online, this is your moment right now. We're at the foot of the cross. We're, we're listening to these statements. We started listening by Father offering the, Father God offering the invitation saying, Jesus saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And then last week we looked at the second statement, that statement is a why. There's times where we have why in our life. God, why? Why am I going through this? Why have you forsaken me? And Lord, we end it all today with it is finished. And so for those of you online, if you're saying, man, pastor, today is my day. I'm ready to go all in and accept Christ as my Lord and my Savior. And man, we want to pray with you. We want to come alongside you and help you. And so if you're meaning business with God right now, and if you're in the house today, and you mean business with God, that's to say, man, I've been doing things my own way. I've been living my own life. But today is the day I want to go all in for Jesus Christ. I want to receive Him as my Lord. I want to receive Him as my Savior. Today is the day. If that describes you, would you just be willing to slip up a hand and say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. I'm ready to go all in. I'm ready to give God everything I've got. My life, my heart, my everything, I'm giving it all to Him. For those of you online right now, why don't you pray this prayer? Family, let's pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus Christ, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And Father, I believe that you died on the cross and you rose the third day. And Lord, right now, I give you my life. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me and make me new. Use me for your glory. In Jesus' name. 
Everybody said amen. Come on, give God a big hand clap of praise all over the house.